the very subtle bottle top pop from the yeah, beer. Yeah, no can today. No can, unfortunately. <sighs> right. sometimes, you just gotta, sometimes you just got to deviate from the path. You know, improvise. Survive. Yeah. I'm back, and it's cold in Kentucky. It's colder here now than it was in New York that I just got back from, um, which was awesome. An amazing trip. Shout out to my high school band. It was in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, which was awesome. Um, but, yeah, it's cold in Kentucky, and... I'm envious of our guest that we have on, who we'll introduce here in a second, because it's not cold where he's at. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think before we started recording, he said it's like 72 degrees where he's at, which is just painful to hear as somebody that left the movie theater earlier and was shivering in my hoodie as all the way snows. to my car. Yeah, no fun. So yeah, you were in New York for the Macy's parade. How was that whole experience? I haven't really talked to you a whole lot about that yet. We can take a second here and kind of. Yeah, honestly, man, it was. It was quite amazing experience. It was super wild. Just, I'm sure I experienced New York in a fashion that few people get the opportunity to. For sure. Just because of some of the rehearsals that we had to do, like our 3.40 a.m. rehearsal with NBC Productions <laughs> the morning before. So that means we had a 12.30 a.m. wake-up call, drove into the city. The Lincoln Tunnel was empty, which is rare, I'm sure, for New York. Um, had the rehearsal at 3 in the morning where it was pretty quiet in the city, not dead, but fairly quiet. But all you could really hear was like the reverb coming off the buildings of all these marching bands rehearsing for this uh, production that they're getting ready to do uh, for their performances later on on the live broadcast. But it, it was an awesome trip. Cool. So. Good. Good. All right. Well, welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini. And with me as always is Evan Worrell. And uh, be sure to hit that subscribe button on YouTube, like the video, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, follow us on Instagram, like the Facebook page, got that whole spiel out of the way. Today's guest is someone that I had the pleasure of learning from for an entire summer, and Evan's just kind of gotten to know through the grapevine of just being aged out and around finals, and you know the band world is super small and they say there's like six degrees of separation from between every human on the planet. Well, the band world, it's like one or two, maybe. So uh, today's guest is Eric Shriver from sunny California. So uh, Eric, if you want to go ahead, introduce yourself and kind of we'll just jump into your background in drumming, how you got into marching band, ended up playing snare drum, blah, blah, blah. So just uh, thanks for being here. Awesome. Uh, what's up, guys? I, I really appreciate this. This is really cool. Uh, I was telling you guys earlier, I, I really uh, am a fan of this podcast, and uh, uh, it's cool what you guys are doing. I guess a little bit about me. Uh, I got started relatively early. I got started percussion, just uh, seventh grade, eighth grade. Got enrolled just in the uh, local music program. Uh, my parents wanted me to probably just get something uh, out of the house, get some activities going. So uh, I had to pick an instrument. Fun fact is I learned clarinet beforehand. I played clarinet in fifth and sixth grade. Realized it was awful. I hated it. It was not the experience that I wanted. Um, Don't let Audrey I, hear that. Oh, man. <laughs> My wife plays clarinet, but yeah. it's all right. To each their own, bro. That's, I don't play clarinet. I'm right there with you. Absolutely. I, I think I had to pick an instrument. Uh, I remember as a kid, my mom was like, I play clarinet. My sister played clarinet. I was like, yeah, sounds great. I'll do that. And then two years later, I'm like, I can't do that. There's no way. This is awful. So I had to pick something. I ended up picking percussion. Got enrolled in uh, the program. Got uh, private lessons. I was fortunate. I had a uh, private lesson teacher who was great with uh, 
it was great with fundamentals. It was great with sight reading. So I got a pretty decent training from the start as far as reading music uh, and basic like concert snare drum abilities and basic drum set stuff. So I think that was like the only advantage I had because the music program at the junior high was is okay, just standard. Play some drum set, play some concert snare, nothing fancy. Uh, my sister was three years older than myself, so I kind of watched her in the marching band in the high school. And then when it was my time to go into high school, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So I joined the local program, Rancho Cucamonga High School. Uh, joined the music program there and just kind of got started in the marching percussion and uh, never really looked back. So I did a little bit drum set throughout high school and a little bit in college, but it, it kind of gravitated more towards just in the marching thing. And uh, it's kind of just turned in my career accidentally. I wasn't uh, intentionally trying to do this, but uh, somehow I just ended up doing percussion full time. Cool. Awesome. So you're living now where you went to high school, right? You're in Rancho Cucamonga? Yeah. Yeah. I was not, uh, not planning on living back in my hometown, but uh, I moved out, lived in a couple other places in SoCal, just kind of moved around. And uh, when my wife and I got together, uh, she happened to live in Rancho, so we lived there. And then we we're looking for houses. It turned out to be just great neighborhood. So I ended up buying a house that's probably three blocks from my uh, my. Uh, home house my my original house so where i grew up in so it's kind of cool it's kind of come full circle so i'm back home and uh i love the place it's a really nice neighborhood cool. that's awesome so, I, I i love that stuff i mean a lot of people are like oh, i gotta get up and move away from the house and like get away and i think i had intended that at one point but now i'm living like 20 miles away from where i grew up and i'm just like you know what it's not that bad <laughs> no absolutely yeah. it's a it, it's cool to come back and uh Definitely wasn't the plan to live in the same place that I grew up in, but uh, uh, I think I just got fortunate. It was a place to good, a good place to like start a family too. Absolutely. Which, congrats, by the way, on yeah. the newborn. <laughs> oh, thank Eric you. Eric is now a now a new father. Yeah. So congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, uh, little Charlotte. She is three months old. We're uh, still we're just working things out right now, but uh, she's great. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. First kid, you're pretty much just diving in the pool. Oh man, um, yeah. So, so you mentioned. Go ahead, Mike. I'll okay. So you did you play snare drum because you are you you were a snare drummer <laughs> for your drum corps and indoor career, and you said you right. did a little bit of drum set throughout the years. But did you ever play other instruments throughout high school before you got into drum corps, like bass or quads or in the front ensemble even? Uh, I played. Uh, let's see, my freshman year, I started on bass drum, played bass two. Uh, I was awful, had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> um, but I had decent hands. So my instructor's like, "Dude, you gotta." we got to get you off the splits. Let's, let's put you on uh, quads. So I played quads the rest of my freshman year for winter and then my sophomore year. Uh, and then it just happened that we, we had a lot of graduates after that and we needed to kind of replace almost the entire new snare line. So it was like, well, you got to play snare. We have no good snare drummers. Uh, and funny enough, I didn't want to. I, I kind of saw myself as doing drum core, like playing quads and being a quad player. Uh, I kind of got forced into the snare thing and then after doing it for a while, I was like, man, this is this is actually pretty chill. It's it's a little bit easier in some ways, so I kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> and the rest your back's history. probably thankful. Oh yeah, yeah. and your knees. Oh. oh god, absolutely. And we we had like quints, but they were like the small pearl quints. Oh okay. So that My was high the had those too. Like the shallow drums. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So awesome. E even then, it was like oh, snare drums a little bit better. Like looking back, uh, it was a good fix. It was a good switch. I would say so. Absolutely. Based on your career, I think it was a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out okay. Yeah. So um, from played, that, sorry, go ahead. 
I was going to say, yeah, in, in high school, did like, you know, concert ensemble, did like concert band, all the other stuff. Uh, we didn't have like a huge con- prominent concert program. Uh, I learned just basic mallet stuff. In hindsight, I wish so, I learned a lot more in high school. It would have made college a little bit easier. But um, I, I played a lot of timpani. So I kind of like when I wasn't doing the marching stuff, when I was doing all the concert band, I, I was kind of like doing timpani. And that was just the instrument I gravitated towards. I loved playing timpani, man. That was fun. It was just like the deep, warm, resonant sound you can produce. It's like, yeah, this is fun. Absolutely. And you just get to sit there. I was, I was so lazy. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Life of a concert percussionist. Oh, man. Yep. So, so transitioning, segueing, high school band, where did you get your introduction like into either, like I guess, the next level, which would be, I don't know, college, indoor, outdoor, DCI, WGI, that sort of thing? Um, I got lucky my eighth grade year going into my freshman year. Uh, my, my sister was going to be a senior. She was a leader in the band program. And all the leaders were like, hey, we're going to this drum corps show. Um, everybody, all the leaders need to go. So my, my sister was like, all right, looks like you're going with me. So I, I got to kind of drug along to a just a drum corps show, which happened to be, uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but it was 1998. So I got to see 98 Vanguard, 98 Blue Devils, uh, oh. Pacific Crest, just uh, a lot of just killer groups. And I had no idea what I was watching. I had no idea what was going on. But I was like, I think I want to do this. This looks really, really cool. Was that the On the Waterfront show, the 98 Vanguard? Uh, I believe so. I got I would have to I'm do not that. not sure research. on that. Uh, I didn't but really know what was going on at the time. So <laughs> I loved those late 90s Vanguard, 98, 99. Just eat it up. Yep, absolutely. No, it was killer. So I got kind of got the bug. I didn't really know what was going on. Uh, I was just like, all right, there's... There's obviously more than high school. You know, this is before, you know, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have all those other resources. So you just kind of wait around to the next year and you're like, all right, well, next year we're going to the drum corps show again. We're going to go check out, you know, the next groups the next time around. Um, so it just kind of became a thing. Um, fortunately, I grew up in an area that had even early on still had some decent groups. So uh, I was looking up to some of the other local high school programs back when Mission Viejo was a killer, killer high school program at the top. Um, so it's kind of something to emulate uh, RCC, Black Knights, kind of in their early, early stages of groups were still above and beyond what we're doing at the high school level. So it was kind of something to look forward to that I kind of saw myself wanting to do. I didn't really know how to do it or anything, but it was something to work towards. For sure. And so saw the drum corps show, went out, decided you're going to, this is what I want to do. Did you? How did you decide on where to audition? Like, did you research groups, or were you like, "Oh, this seems like it's in my wheelhouse. Like, I'll go for this." Uh, re- mostly just research groups. Uh, I, you know, I was just kind of like a nerd, kind of doing a lot of research online, just looking up the websites for groups, looking up anything I could find. Um, not really videos because we didn't really have access to much videos, but I knew that there was at least some local drum corps. There was Pacific Crest. There was Impulse. Uh, I think there was a few other ones back then, but. Um, I had a friend or two that had marched Pacific Crest. One did the color guard, one did the uh, the horn line prior. So I kind of knew that was like my stepping stone into the drum corps gig. So that was kind of like what I had my eye on throughout high school. So I went there, I went audition for uh, whatever year that was, my for my junior year in high school. Got called back, was basically in like the last nine or ten dudes. And then even I was like, I don't think I'm ready for this thing. Like, this seems like a lot. 
but I knew like, all right, next year around, I'm going to do this thing. So practiced my butt off, got ready to go. And then my senior year, I kind of jumped into uh, joined Pacific Crest and then just marched from then on out. Was that the summer of 04 or 03? Ooh, uh, that was the summer of 02. 02. Oh, that. So. I think that's kind of how I was at my first term core audition, though. I, I felt like I had a shot to make it at Glassman, rip. Um, <laughs> but, like, the closer I got to maybe actually making it, I kind of psyched myself out. I was like, I don't think I'm ready for this mentally. Like, this is a lot. <laughs> but, yeah. See, Which is something to be said. I had a similar experience. My first drum corps audition was Glassman for the 09 summer. And I also, it was my first, like, oh, I'm no longer just, like, I was a big fish in a small pond in, in Louisville in my high school area. And I'd never seen all these other older people that were way better than me. And I almost, I, uh, somehow I almost made that line. And I was pretty disappointed at the time. But after I marched the following summer at the Blue Stars, I looked back and was like, the same thing Evan thought. I was just ignorant of it. I was would not have been ready for drum corps that <laughs> previous summer, like at all. Like, there's no way I would have. I, I would not have survived that first summer. I don't think I would have. I'm not sure I would have <laughs> made it through the 09 Glassman summer. I just don't think I was there yet, physically or mentally. And that's something like nowadays kids are marching so young. I like I have a student who just finished his junior year and tried out at Legends or something and he didn't make it and it's like well look you have a lot of time left and I keep telling his mom like look he's still really young like in the grand scheme of things this activity it might be a good thing he's not going to do it yet let him mature a little bit get a little physically stronger and I think that's something every young person auditioning needs to be aware of like it's not the end of the world and sometimes it can be a blessing in disguise not making it super young oh yeah absolutely it's uh yeah doing all the drum corps auditions i've had to do in the last 10 plus years now like you get some of these kids auditioning every once in a while they have the hands to do it and even i'm like i don't know if you really want to do it like mm-hmm. if you have the hands and you can hang but you're a sophomore in high school it's like hey man just Keep working, keep doing the thing you're doing, but enjoy high school a little bit. Don't get too in depth too early, or you're gonna burn yourself out. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. just get burnt out. Plus, like nowadays too, like I guess it's like Eric, you started in 02, ended up marching. I guess what five summers? Uh, five summers. Thinking about monetarily paying for five summers now, I'm just like, holy cow! <laughs> There's no way. I can't imagine. It's a lot of Dude. money. It is a lot of money. So, so you did Pacific Crest in 02. And did you go from there to Bluecoats, or was there another stop in between? Well, I did uh, for uh, for drum corps. I did Pacific Crest for 02. I wasn't sure going to 03 if I was going to come back, if I was going to go elsewhere. Uh, I went up to Blue Doubles auditions in 03. Uh, but if anybody who knows that kind of era, that's that was the season that it was basically the, cool. Oh man, it was the entire RCC snare line was art was in Blue Doubles. It was all seven dudes made Blue Doubles. And you're like, all right, well, I'm for sure not going to make it. These guys are all going to be solid. It's like INE Central, man. Like, every one yeah. of those dudes just had hands for days. Absolutely. It was a killer show, killer killer line. So I went up audition for them, and I went audition for Vanguard as well that summer. And funny enough, I did the process. I told the story to some friends before, but I hated it, which is funny now because it's one of the drum lines that influences me so much, like, looking back in hindsight – but as a stubborn, cocky, like, 18-year-old auditioning for drum corps and who had never, like, drummed under that style or approach, it was just everything against what I'd ever learned and everything against what I was. 
I was like, no, this is terrible. I'm not doing it. Got called back <laughs> and was like, no, I don't want to do that. And then I, I watched them later on during the summer. I was like, damn it. That was actually really cool. <laughs> they were so good. They were so clean. It still frustrates me. It was so good. That's funny. And if you'd gone back in 04, yeah, the Shaharazad oh, show. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it's funny how things work out. Yeah, at that point, I was not probably mature enough to do that. I didn't want to really adjust my style, and I was just trying to figure things out still. Um, so I, I had hit up the uh, Pacific Crest caption head, Dave Hinkle, and I was like, hey, man, I think I want to do this again. I, I think I got another season of me here, and I think I can do this right and just be better and have a better experience. So did it round two, just kind of did it again. That was just one Pacific Crest was transitioning from a local regional group. And that was our first year traveling out to world championships. We flew to Orlando. We rehearsed that week and then did uh, quarters and semis that year. So that was like the first step into like, quote unquote, real drum corps. Nice, nice, nice. And was there any indoor in between that oh, yeah. stuff? You did the Black Knights gig, right? Yep. Yeah, I went, um, we did uh, indoor heavily in high school. Fun fact is I have the lowest medal I think you can get. I got a Scholastic A bronze medal my senior year in high school. <laughs> um, but we, uh, I did that, kind of fell in love with the WGA activity. And then that's when Black Knights was uh, run by Mike Jackson in 02. And I was like, I think I want to do this thing. So went, did Black Knights in 03, did in 04, uh, and then... We'll kind of talk about the later, but kind of transitioned into a pulse as it was starting as well. Yeah, yeah, you were an inaugural charter member of, like, I guess pulse. You could, you would say, but <laughs> so did that. March to two summers at Pacific Crest. Did you go back for the third? No, after the second summer, I was. I knew I wanted to do something else. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do at that point in the region, like in SoCal region. It was. It's very diluted to like just. All the guys teaching, all the guys marching were in Vanguard or Blue Devils, and that was it. Um, and I knew I wanted to try something new and try something that wasn't – most people around here weren't exposed to at the time. Um, and frankly, I knew like if I wanted to do the educational side, I wanted to get a different experience and have, have a different experience than the people around me. So I sent an audition video out for Phantom Regiment for their 04 line, and then I sent an audition video to Mike McIntosh over at uh, Blue Coats. And that was his first summer teaching blue coats. Um, I happened to just see online and like a staff announcement, like oh, Mike McIntosh is the new percussion, I think a uh, director and arranger. Uh, and then some other staff members, Tim Maynard and a few other people, like I like happened to know their name just through research. And I was like, they seem like really good guys. Like, I think I want to learn from them. So just randomly sent an audition video to uh, both of those groups, um, heard back and, uh, uh, Mike McIntosh invited me out to the first camp, and I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to fly out and do this blue coats thing. I was like, I don't really know blue coats. I've actually never seen them ever in my life, but it looks like a cool experience, so let's see what happens. So I did the audition camp and fell in love with it. Definitely fell in love with the staff and the level of education and information I got from them. And I was like, oh, my God. I didn't even know you could – I didn't know you could work on eight on a hand that detailed. I didn't know you could work on a tap sound that detail. Uh, so it like was mind blowing for me from an educational standpoint. That's awesome. It's also funny to think about you just being like, I've never heard of blue coats, never seen them. <laughs> it's yeah. Something that no statement is made of today. Absolutely. Um, it was, it was very weird. Cause I had to tell, uh, I had to tell my staff, you know, black Knights, like, Hey, I'm going to miss this next weekend. Um, 
for audition camp. And they're like, where are you going? I was like, oh, I'm going to Blue Coats. And they're like, what? Blue Coats? Why are you going there? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Well, we'll see what happens. It sounds different. I just want to try something different. Worked out pretty well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that started the uh, the connection there with Mike McIntosh, Tim Maynard, who I've never actually met, but everybody who's marched under him just speaks so incredibly highly of the education and the teaching that he does. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think I've ever heard a negative thing said about that guy or his teaching at any uh, point. He's, he's great. He's a he's high standard, like high vibe, high energy. Just he's all about it. Lots of information. Um, I think everybody who learned from them had a difficult time at times because he's so high maintenance as far as like keeping everybody on their toes all the time. But I mean, he expects the best out of you, and he's that was very, something that we learned a lot from him. He's very meticulous and detail oriented, isn't he? Like he absolutely. doesn't let anything slide. Yeah, absolutely. And for somebody like myself, who's very analytical, very like meticulous as well, I was like, "This is the guy." I was like, "I want to learn from him." I, I love it. I've learned from some people that also learned from Tim Maynard, and all of them said because I'm also very analytical. I'm a math <laughs> person. I mean, I'm sure you're aware. They said, dude, oh, yeah. you would have loved marching for Tim Maynard. So, unfortunately, Absolutely. he's out of the game. But uh, his so, influence is still amongst a ton of us. So oh, for it's, sure. It's cool seeing, like, just hearing a bunch of people who learn from him as well. So, shout out to Tim if he ever hears about this. <laughs> yeah, we'll tag him in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, then you did your first summer at uh, Blue Coats. So, you're. Yep. Div one or world class or whatever it's called. This thing is still Div one there. At that time, uh, got to march in finals. Finished yep. like sixth place, top somewhere in there, something like that. Top yeah. half, sixth place. Um, then started off. I guess that would have been followed up the first ever winter of pulse percussion in 2005 uh, yep. as a charter member, which I recently just brought up with uh richard on the last podcast you guys wore the headphones uh, <laughs> i was like mcm did not start this trend um, or the earmuffs but that's more like a trivia detail i don't think very many people really know or care that we did it first <laughs> yeah i care i care <laughs> um and then he said too that i guess uh you all were like drilling holes in them or something like that yeah it was a it was one of those things where like the staff was like, yeah, it was a great idea. And they brought it to us and they put it, they put it on us and we're like, no, 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 this is not it. And they're like, well, we, we kind of like put our eggs into this basket. So we got to do it. And we're like, um, okay, well, I can't really hear myself drum or anybody else. So we got to figure out some solutions fast. <laughs> it's a pretty big detriment to this activity. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was kind of problem. It was kind of a problem for old times. But it was nice at those loud indoor rehearsals. You're like, I'm just going to toss these headphones on because my ears hurt a lot. What was the show? What was the show title? And what was the purpose of the the headphones, the earmuffs, whatever you want to call them? That was, uh, I think the show title was actually Fahrenheit 451. It was just about being plugged in, like getting plugged in basically to the, uh, I think the mainframe or uh, like being plugged into the government control. So that was like the signal, like, Plugging those back in. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, bringing it back. That makes. Yeah, man. <laughs> Were they? Did they come out in world class? Was that? Yeah. Okay. That was a cool. uh, world class eighth place, ninth place in world class first year round, which, I mean, is huge. At the time, it wasn't as difficult, but uh, it was still pretty good. Like first year round for organization, it was. 
it was difficult, but uh, it was a cool experience. It was cool to look back and to see where it's come from. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, thinking about eighth place now, like the eighth yeah. place groups, I'm like, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Times have changed a lot. We've had that discussion on here a bunch about how just like the middle of the pack in world class has risen in like quality so much in the past five years alone. So like eighth place in 05, where I, I can bet they were still good groups, probably aren't anywhere close to eighth place nowadays. God, it's not even comparable. It'd be like, what we were then probably wouldn't make open class finals now. <laughs> well, like, not to get on a indoor soapbox, but like Atlanta Quest last year finished 15th, but they beat RCC in prelims and the performance capture. So there's like, all right, come on. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. It's just, yeah, the, the depth of the activity, the depth of every division is crazy. It's like you go all the way down there and everybody's good. It's like some groups are great, some groups are a little bit better, but like everybody's really good. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Busted out the polls. Now get into marching with some of uh some of our also favorite people. Oh, yeah. um, 05, 06, Blue Coats, which have some of the greatest backbeats in drum corps history, if you never watched that. Uh, the <laughs> Connexus and Caravan show. I don't remember which one was which. 05, 06, uh, to be honest with you. But march with Jared Hampton Thomas and Josh Bricky <laughs> over there. Absolutely. That uh that whole crew of people, there's a lot of people who uh who aren't involved in the activity anymore, but a lot of them like kind of taught in the activity for a while. A lot of people had involved. It's a, it was a great group of people. And uh, Jared and Josh are just, they were awesome. Those guys are uh, so much fun to hang around with. It was a cool experience with them. I just can't imagine like being in a snare line. Cause obviously I, maybe you weren't now what you were then, but like you have such like a chill vibe and then like Josh and like the jokester <laughs> that he is. And then, like, Jared now, where he's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, man. Like, yeah, we're, we're just, like, we're drumming. Yeah, like, it just, it just seems like it'd be, like, such a fun summer with all those dudes. Uh, it was a lot of fun. 05 especially was a blast. Um, and it was a bunch of, like, it was cool because at that time in the game, like, for Blue Coats, it was, like, the first time Blue Coats, like, kind of got up into the top. Like, we beat most of the other drum lines at some point during the summer that year. So, like, it was the first time we were ever up in the range. We were, like, hanging with all the big boys. Uh, most of the guys in that drum line were marching Pulse, RCC, Rhythm X, Mystique. It was, like, a crazy amount of talent. So it, it was pretty easy vibe. Um, and everybody was just having so much fun back then. Yeah, was it, like, 05 or 06 you guys got, like, second on finals night or semis night or something? Uh, 06. We – I'm almost positive this is right. I think because we had the uh, up top and the bottom judge, we had a perk one, perk two. We tied with devs for second on prelims and semis. And then on finals night, we, we let a couple things go, and then we moved to third place on finals night. Okay, yeah, I was actually trying to look it up earlier from this website that keeps every recap from 1974, but it doesn't <laughs> want to load on. It doesn't want to load on my phone. So, yeah, it but, was a, uh, it was the battle for second place at that point because I think we got to that point in summer. Like, all right, well, Phantoms for sure got it because uh, they're just really, really good every single time we've seen them. Oh yeah, 06 Phantom was, yeah, yeah. pretty, pretty consistent. I feel Absolutely. like every time the blue coats have been close like that, there's always some standout group. Or, like, the, a debatable the finish. <laughs> what, you say, oh, the Blue Devils, Evan? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Aww. they've been so close, like, five <laughs> times. And for some reason, cannot seal the deal. 
they've got to be a, right up so there to win calls. one soon. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, uh, man. They've got to win one one soon or eventually. I mean, uh, those years day. were some of the first licks though that I ever learned, uh, like transcribing those old innovative licks that. Uh, with like the really funky like guitar intros or something oh, like that. Oh yeah. And there's that video of you guys doing that like cha 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 check it like that and all that slicks and stuff. O five uh, drum solo. Was, yeah, that was actually the O five drum solo was in the audition packet for the O <laughs> seven summer. And I like bought that packet and went audition there, which I got cut for sure. But I was like I bought the packet. I was like, I'm gonna learn this. But that's funny. And those years too for me were just even though that was like the second year and like in 04 they finished six, but the 05 and 06 summers for me as a blue coats percussion ensemble and as a core just started to catapult them to like what it is today. Like the consistency of finishing in the top. Um, Cause those drum lines, like you said, and those percussion ensembles just in general, like were so good that they just started to make, I think like put blue coats on the map and pave the way for 07, 08, nine ten just uh, uh, 12 like that sort of stuff but yeah it was a it was a cool experience being on that ride of like like hey this is going to turn into something really really cool and i was hoping like all right by my age out year i think we can do this thing we we got close but it, it was just exciting to be a part of that organization during those times for sure the white pants love it oh god the white pants uh, that's the one thing after my age out year they're like oh new uniforms I saw the new uniforms. Like, damn it, those are awesome. <laughs> yeah, was that for the criminal show or something? Yep. <laughs> and that was also um, the year where they they announced, they're like, oh, next year's finals is at Pasadena. I'm like, damn it, that was like thirty minutes <laughs> from my house. I aged out one year off. <laughs> That's awesome. So March Blue Coats. Then you end up, I guess, teaching at Blue Coats. Yep. Um, right after you age out, oh six. Was Blue Coats your first teaching gig as well? Well, it was my first drum for teaching gig, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I, had, after I aged out, I was like, I think I want to keep doing this thing. So I, I bugged Mac, uh, Mike McIntosh. I bugged him after aging out. I was like, hey, man, if you need somebody, I'm the guy. Like, if, if at any point Tim Mater bails or anybody else bails, like, if you need somebody even to come in a little bit, I would love to do it. So I bugged him 07 and bugged him 08, and uh, it just never worked out. They had the staff kind of dialed in. They had a great thing going. But I was like, I, I know I want to teach the drum corps thing. I was just kind of waiting for the right opportunity. Um, and then things just kind of fell into place 09, which, funny enough, is like Mac had, had bailed. He uh, was going to take the summer off. It was going to be a whole new staff. But then Mike Jackson came in, and then I was chatting with him. I was like, so you need a snare tech? <laughs> and then funny enough he's like yep yeah, let's do this thing so uh i i got my wish i got to teach at blue coats uh with a completely different staff and it was crazy completely different staff but still a similar like family tree of pedagogy from the old staff mac and tim maynard and that stuff like just in like absolutely. a different way so that's absolutely cool to, um so my so jackson's there Tom Rarick, I guess, gets the full gig. He had been right in the front. Now he's writing everything. Um, summer of 09, that's like Metropolis show or something like that. Or was that 2010? No, 10 I can't keep them all Metropolis straight. Metropolis was 10. Oh, 09 was the cloud show. Yeah. Ooh, they took off was the cloud imagine? show. Was it cloud <laughs> Absolutely. I think it was called Imagine, if I remember. Yeah, I right. think it was. 
<laughs> the cloud show. <laughs> I mean, they had clouds on their uniforms when they took their jackets off. I mean, they did take their jackets off. They started it back in '09. There it is. Always the um, trendsetter. For now better here we or are. for worse. <laughs> um, so teaching '09, '10, '11, uh, '12. We competed against you guys a couple of those summers. One of the summers we won, one of the summers you guys won. Well, over us, I guess I'll say. Um, nobody won. Nobody won. <laughs> the Blue Devils won. Yeah, they sure did. Just Those Blue them. Devils. Flip <laughs> <laughs> a coin. Heads, they win drums that year. Tails, Vanguard does. Uh, yeah, kind of. Well, <laughs> not in those years. Yeah. There's yeah. Phantom, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually tried out a Phantom. It's kind of funny you brought up the, the Vanguard thing where you went there. I actually yep. went to try out to phantom in 09 before i went to try out for crown in 09 which i eventually marched but i went to phantom and i just absolutely hated it like i just <laughs> i hated what they the way they drummed it just it was not me it was it was not my style at all i was like i can't i can't do this i can't adjust the way that you're you're wanting me to uh so i was like i'm out but then like i was watching them in 2010 even though like i'm a tour competing against them i was like they're really good <laughs> Like, ah, oh, oh, I see it now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, just to speak about, you brought up 2010 Phantom. I was on tour that summer for the first time. And just, just to speak back to like your first summer, it can be kind of a whirlwind. I had absolutely no idea Phantom was that good the entire tour. I was in survival mode so much the whole time, just trying not to die that like, I didn't know who was good. I didn't know what other groups were doing. All I cared about was like, am I doing my job? All right, where do I need to be at what time? Okay, how's this work? It was it was funny because like Evan back at college, we both were at Moorhead at the same time after the summer. We both came off tour and he's like pulling up these videos and I was like, how did I not know this was a thing? I probably <laughs> would have had opportunities to go watch him. I just never was completely oblivious. Which is pure survival mode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're just hanging out for dear life your first summer. But <laughs> So Eric's teaching. You taught there from 09 to... 13 or 12? I think 12. 12. Right? 12 yeah. was my 12. last summer there. So you were there with Mike uh, on his last summer. I actually, Mike brought this up early on, how Eric and I have just kind of met each other through the grapevine. of the. I actually met Eric the first time I met him was, I think, auditioning there for the 2011 summer, which I ended yep. up not doing. But even though our brief interaction was like me auditioning at this one camp, like we've always just kind of like said hey and caught up whenever we're at like DCI or WGI. Uh so, which is always cool, even though he never taught me or really spent all that much time together, other than like that audition weekend, we just still like chit chat back and forth here and there, which is which is cool. Absolutely, um, I, I still remember that too. I was like, hey, I think we got this guy. I think he was going to do it, <laughs> and well, then he didn't. Yeah, he wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to do it. Mike Jackson would put the pressure on me. At the, he like off, that was like the easiest audition of my life, even though I was super unprepared, uh, <laughs> but. I just like I had marched so much at that point and I was like, Yeah, I can play and he was like, Well, we want you in here. Here's a contract. I was like, Well, I don't know if I can march this summer yet. <laughs> like, just sign the contract. Just do it now. Yeah. Yeah, just Lock do it in. now. Just sign it. Lock <laughs> it's in. fine. It's fine. <laughs> It'll work out. It probably would have worked out. I probably but whatever. Anyway, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> it's cool. it's uh, funny how he was aggressive like that with you because I kinda remember it was kind of a similar situation with Blue Coats in twelve for me at the audition camp, the first one. I don't think I played well or had a good like showing at all. I don't know if Eric you remember at all. I think you were at that camp. 
and uh like i had a terrible individual with mike like he made me super nervous and uh and you you and him both were just you offered me a contract on sunday i guess just because the same reason like i had marched a bunch i had marched with joe and tom and was marching with them that winter and like tim and ryan lamb and all them knew me and stuff so it kind of worked out they were just like all right look we're not gonna mess around I think, the, thing, I think the phrase you all always, like you both said, were like, you know, we weren't going to do it this weekend at first, but, you know, people think that there's like some secret society of snare drummers out in California. We know what's <laughs> pretty much going to, like, those. that was like the metaphor or whatever you used, not a metaphor, but what you all said, and it made me laugh, and I was like, yeah, it, people do really think there's like some secret group of awesome snare drummers out there. We just got hiding. the snare factory. Yeah. <laughs> gotta, we got to get another one, bring them from the factory. <laughs> They got the quad factories when they got. Yeah, that's we true. Did. We did for a while there, especially. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Without a doubt. But By we, I mean RCC and those guys definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. They had the quad factory. The Jeremy Summers, like, just boom, 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 down the road. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, See, so top blue coats, some phenomenal years. Obviously, stick out in my mind 2010, 2012. Uh, but all four of those years just very very strong um mike always alluded to some of the things that you guys did that you like playing on like the concrete and this and that were those like things that like you picked up from other people or just things that you found that worked well as far as like the articulation of playing on concrete versus like a snare drum head that sort of thing you know that was i remember doing that a lot especially with that line um that year and a couple years of blue stars they did that it was honestly just kind of experimenting live, just like uh, I, I distinctly remember like drumming and like gee, it was like the sound is not right, like everybody just sounds pinched, like we're not getting the resonance that we want, and like the snare zone where the blue coats uh, would always have their snare sectionals at. There's like these concrete steps, and it's just one of those like everybody just sit down, just grab sticks, let's work this out right now, and uh, it was just one of those like on the fly, let's just see what happens and let's try to find a better way to get the sound of what we wanted. Uh, and then we did that for a while. I remember doing that and experimenting with like, all right, squeeze the sticks, relax the sticks. Let's do these different exercises and breakdowns. And then we're like, all right, everybody just get up, get on the drum right now. Don't, don't think about anything. Just do the same thing you just did. And it was like daylight. Like you just hear it. As soon as everybody started drumming, you're like, yep, nope, yep. That's the sound. That's what we need. We need more of that well, uh, in, in like two and a half months from now in August. We need to start <laughs> doing that now. Well, well, honestly, like that concrete drumming was probably the most beneficial thing that I did that entire summer in terms of sound quality, because my whole drumming career, I learned from an old school cadet when high, in high school. So a lot of pinching, a lot of not neutral hand, you know, not a lot oh, of yeah, vibration going on. Yeah, exactly. And so, and I've always, I've, I've kind of bigger hands, so I've always had a very heavy, dark sound. So you combine those. So I had, I know I had like overbalancing issues on and off throughout that tour, but the, honestly, the concrete drumming was what was the difference maker for me. Like I, 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 if I'm being honest, like, I don't know if I would have ever figured out how to drum like that, like we did without that concrete drumming. Cause then you go back to the drum and you feel the stick vibrate so much and your hands are so open and it was like light bulbs going off. And, and even when we didn't do it in rehearsal, I did that on my own like between blocks when I knew my hands were like tight or heavy and it just worked wonders. It's incredible. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, you see a lot of people now doing different things. Like, you know, you see a lot of the, uh, Paul Rennick crews, like those guys are drumming on anything they can possible. Uh-huh. 
see a lot of groups just drumming on different things. Uh, we've experimented with using like drum set sticks. We're like, all right, let's play some drum set sticks and let's do some stick control exercises with this. And like, you just learn more about getting the stick to do the things it needs to do without you getting in the way and like learning how to get the resonance to happen in, happen, uh, and then transitioning that onto the drum. And like, there's different ways to do it, but uh, it is very cool. And like I said, it's very enlightening. It's like you get back on the drum and you're like, oh my God, this feels different. Mm-hmm. Probably feels like you're drumming on butter after playing on concrete, dude. It's like, it was like when you can learn how to open up your hands and not pinch on concrete, which you probably have to do in order yep. to get it to produce. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. then you get on like Kevlar that's not overtuned or not cranked, which we'll get into later. But it just probably <laughs> feels like so good. So yeah, I love it. That was fun, uh, and that was a fun summer. That was the the twelve crew was a good group of guys. Like I got very fortunate, and we had a easy guys to work with the start, and then we just kept kept running from there on out yeah i was i'm very fortunate that that was the that was actually the last drum line i was ever in i didn't do my college band after that i had two seasons of rhythm x left like i kind of just hung it up after that summer no it could, and, could uh, be a worse way to go out exactly people have ended on uh, <laughs> on worse notes than that su- that summer <laughs> so then you will segue here you get to uh kind of get away from blue coats and do somewhat of your own thing you left blue coats and went to blue stars uh tell us a little bit about that like the motivations behind it the thought process maybe what you were looking for changes different that sort of thing well it's cool and i i loved the blue coats organization the staff is it was a killer staff some of those guys every time i see them they're still my some of my best friends i just knew that after doing it for four years uh, at Blue Coats, I'm like, it's like I think I want to try to do things my own way, and not not even necessarily better. I just want to try something different. I wanted to have a little bit more freedom to like just kind of do my thing. So I knew after the the 12 summer, I, I was pretty sure I was gonna like head out and just see if there's other options out there. And it just happened that after the summer, a few weeks later, um, uh, John Mapes had hit me up and I was like, hey man. We, this thing's happening that might happen and we're really, really interested to see if you guys, or if you want to be on board. Um, so they kind of hit me up about the blue, uh, blue star saying, I know Mapes and Ian Grom were heavily thinking about doing it, but those guys are super busy. Obviously they had, they have a great thing going and even back then they did, but they're like, I, I can't do the summer. I can't be out there. Like we don't want to do it unless we have somebody that we trust who can like basically do the thing. So I kind of chat with them about it and I was like, I think this is, I think this is the opportunity I was looking for. Let's, let's give it a go. So we just kind of made it a, a, a brand new start in the new organization. And we're like, we're going to do what we've kind of like worked together and learned how to do together at Pulse. We're going to just do that there. Uh, and then just kind of do it with our own little spin for the blue stars organization. Cause you had already been teaching with them at Pulse in the winter's, 2009 through like 12, 11, 12, something like that, right? Yep. Yeah, I started teaching. I started teaching at Pulse right after I aged out um, in 2008, and then they got a little bit on board. Just kind of wrote the the music. Basically, it's a longer story than we probably have, but basically saved our asses. We needed somebody to write a show fast in January, and they're like, "We can do it." So they got on board, <laughs> and then 09 was the first year of Pulse. We're like, "Okay, we're going to do this." We're going to do this the way we want to do it. Um, Which is a then, phenomenal show, that Breath Show or Breathe Show. I don't know the breathe, pronunciation yeah. there, but I love that show. Yep. Uh, that was cool. And that was, 
I mean, pun intended as well, but it was a breath of fresh air for, for the world-class division, I think, as well. And I think that's what kind of made their mark into the top of a world-class at that point. Yeah, finished, what, fourth that year, and then just catapulted from there. Yep. Obviously, consistently perennial finisher every year since. Um, painted tarp, by the way, which is awesome. Like, <laughs> hand-painted. Hand-painted. Mostly pretty good. If you go back and watch the video, there's one <laughs> section that uh, did not turn out very well. So uh, don't paint your tarps anymore. Get digital print if you can. <laughs> there it is. Uh, words of but, wisdom. But yeah, we um, we were doing that. Uh, we're kind of doing our thing at Pulse. And I was, I was bringing some of what I was doing at Pulse to Bluecoats and some of what I was doing at Bluecoats to Pulse. And it, it was a cool marriage between the two. But when the Blue Star things opened up, it was like, it's like you know what I can I can literally just do my thing at Blue Stars, uh, and do a great job with it or fail at it. Who knows? But it'll be at least my opportunity to be able to do that and do that with like still a great design, having John and Ian on board um, and having their guidance, but having their trust as well for me to just kind of like hire the staff, design uh, design the technique program and just kind of run the program. So it was my first time time to like really run my own gig for the drum corps level. Um, it was really cool. Nice. And then eventually Ian and, uh, John put in their kind of, ex their time there and with it in that yep. sort of, uh, season of life and decide they're going to step away. And I guess it was an easy transition. I would say for the blue stars, uh, I would think it was easy to just be like, Hey, well, <laughs> we want you to do this. Uh, you got the writing gig um, and stepped in yep. What from what seems like a pretty seamless transition. No, absolutely. Um, and that's it worked out great for them. I'm like, they obviously are going to take a risk, like having somebody who hasn't written at that level before, at the drum corps level. But it, at least if you're going to take a risk, might as well take a risk with somebody they already know and trust on the other side of things. It's like, I already have the staff involved. I was, I was fortunate. Some of those, uh, almost the entire percussion staff was returning the next year, even with the design turnover. Um, so they're a bunch of like some of my best friends, some great educators. I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this thing and I can write it, like I know these guys are going to be involved and I, I know it's going to go great and they're going to kind of mold it into what it needs to be. So it was a great transition for me to learn how to do it at that level, but not do it blindly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Adam was there, right? Norse? Yep. Oh, yeah. The absolutely. The, the boss. Yeah. Adam, uh, um, Adam gets a little shout out as well. And uh, he's a great educator. Uh, did you guys, you guys get an interview with him yet? Or? Yeah, we, we did. did. Pretty early on, actually. That's right. Um, That's right. Yeah. But, so. um, he's, he's awesome. And uh, it, was, it was very comforting because when you do the drum corps thing, unless you're a road warrior and you're doing 100% of the summer, the hardest thing is when you're in charge leaving because you're at home you're trying to be like a normal person have a life also teach three or four high schools at home you're trying to do all that stuff as well while trying to juggle the drum corps thing and you want to know that whoever you leave in charge is going to be able to handle the gig and do it well uh and adam was that guy it's like hey if i'm gonna be out adam's got to be in and we just tag team that thing and it was awesome having him on board nice love adam yeah. uh actually just moved back to kentucky so he's he not did. too far away from us nice um so then, I guess, uh, did the Blue Stars writing gig for two summers, right? Yep, yep, two summers. Um, then decided just 
take a step back. Um, did, was there a summer off, or did you jump right into like just kind of doing some time here and there with the Cavaliers? Uh, no summer off. the The intention was to have summer off. I had, always <laughs> is. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say no, man. <laughs> Especially when like Max, Max coming at you, I'm like, hey man, we uh, you, so you're, you're taking the summer off, which means uh, probably gonna come teach with us, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And Once it, you it's got the bug news. in you. Once you got that bug in you, it's real hard to walk away. I don't think I don't think you ever lose it. And I just, I'm young still, relatively speaking, but I don't think that competitive drum corps bug probably ever ever leaves. It yeah, it doesn't, and. It's hard. It's like I had done 10 summers straight. I knew after 18, I was like, I, I can't do this for another summer the same way. It's like I got to take a break. I got to sit out. I got to do something just for like for personal sanity and just kind of recharge and like get a chance to reflect and find a way to like do things my way uh, differently. Just try something new. So after that summer, I was planning on sitting out. Uh, after a few weeks or so, Mac had hit me up and was like, like, hey man, like we need somebody on board. He's like, I think you're planning on sitting out, but he's like, you know, even if you're available for like a week or two, like we'd love to have you on. It's like that is, it's like a week or two of of teaching drum corps is like a vacation compared to what I've been used to. I've been used to six, eight, nine weeks of summer. Yeah, so, and they um, did the California tour. <laughs> absolutely, and selfishly, it was like, well, I did see you guys announce the California tour as well, so. Let's make one of those weeks the California week because that would be great. <laughs> I could drive to rehearsal and then drive back home and sleep in my bed for a little while. And I'm sure your wife loved that. <laughs> Absolutely. And and we kind of knew like I think we're going to do we're going to have a kid and I think that was the plan. So it was like we need to kind of make the summer a little bit more available and it worked out perfectly. It's like um, she was pregnant from basically January all the way till when we had the baby in uh, in August. So it, it was good timing. I was able to like work with the group at a high level. It was a good recharge for me because I got to work with an organization I'd never worked with before. And frankly, 90% of the staff I had never met before. So I was kind of like the odd man out. Uh, and it was a really cool experience. It's great staff members, great educators, and uh, uh, just great people. So I had a blast working with them. Nice. I think the last thing before we get into maybe like some more philosophical type things for me uh, would be i guess your most recent um announcement which isn't super recent but it is the most recent for the uh, gold drum and beagle core um you guys made that announcement dropped kind of a bomb i think on the activity um because everybody's like whoa just like looking down the staff list like a lot of the names uh not always people i know but names i've heard of and i'm just like dang they brought they brought some guns out um (laughs) absolutely how did all that unfold or how did you get approached to like do this, I guess the writing gig or, or whatever the setup is there? Well, I, I had, um, I've seen in the last few years, the organization has done some great things over there. Um, for anybody who is a little bit aware of the open class division, um, you just kind of see like a couple groups kind of bubbling to the top and that organization has been doing some great things across the board in design and education. So it was really cool to see that. Um, I, I know everybody kind of jokes like SoCal needs another good drumline, but it was really cool seeing another drumline like SoCal Drum Corps like really work things out in the last couple of years. So it was really exciting to see them, and I was really happy with some of my friends who were actually working on the staff in the last couple of years. Uh, David Miranda was working there, and a few other guys. 
And one, they were going to have a staff turnover and they were looking for somebody and they had hit me up. And I was like, well, I'm not really working with them, but I'm like, I'm doing Cavaliers again, but it's, it's very minimal. I'm the low guy on the totem pole. I'm coming out there to help out and like dig in when I can. But I was like, I've never actually worked with an open class drum corps. I've never marched an open class drum corps. And I don't really, frankly, I didn't know a lot about open class activity. I was like, this is something I don't know enough about and haven't had enough experience with. And I would love to be able to have that experience and be able to work with a group. Um, and then selfishly, it's a SoCal group and I've never taught a drum corps from California. Nice. But then like I'm looking at the staff list and there's Adam and Paul Kersey guy who we talked with Richard about last week and like oh, yeah. all these people. I'm just like, all right, dude, they're going to track some, track some kids, get uh, those, which is cool. Get all those high school kids from all those high schools in SoCal that aren't going to watch drum corps. Absolutely. Does, and uh, hopefully you guys some other areas of the country as well. I mean, the biggest thing I was like, I, I told those guys when they asked me to do it, like, Hey, you know, you want to do this thing? Do you want to kind of run the organization and write for the, uh, for the battery. I'm like, yeah, but I got to make sure I have people saying that I can trust and who are down to do it. Uh, and I, a lot of those guys who are on the staff, I think we're in a similar position where they weren't planning on doing a drum corps, but if it's the right people and the right group, they're down to do it. So it was one of those like, Hey, we're getting the gang back together. We're, uh, <laughs> piecing, we're piecing together the staff. And it was a lot of guys were like, you know what? I didn't really want to do it, but I see the other people who are kind of involved or might be involved. And like, this sounds just fun. This sounds like an awesome experience. It's like that to the, to the news van. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anchor man style. Oh man. Oh, we're, yeah. Man. We're just piecing together the staff. And I started laughing after, as we're doing it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like this is a killer group of people. And like, if I was managing a 12, top 12 drum corps, a lot of these guys, like this would be the same people I would have contact first right away. So we'll That's see awesome. gold uh, making the jump to world class within two seasons. Um, <laughs> we're we're just gonna work on what we're doing right now and just try to bring a uh, a higher level to what they're doing. So we'll see. Have you guys already had auditions yet? We're actually uh, our first round of auditions is this coming weekend. Uh oh, there it is. Do you guys do a full tour or is it a shorter tour? It's a shorter tour, which uh, was very exciting to look at for me. I, Attractive. Yeah. yeah, it's like a majority of their their rehearsals and everything is SoCal based. Like anything I would be involved with, I can drive to along with two thirds of the staff. So all of us are like gigging teachers. We all teach at multiple high schools. So it's like, I can't afford to be gone all summer, but I can teach my high schools, um, teach them at a high level and still be at the drum corps and still be involved with the drum corps. Uh, and same with a lot of the other staff members. So uh, the, the SoCal tour the socal uh regional thing for most of the summer works out really really well for us um and hopefully for the members too wasn't ted setup. on that staff list did i see that yep ted Lee's on there as well ted leith <laughs> my dude ted leith is still in my phone book as ted leith sea world because he used to drum at sea world right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that but cool so we got into that the next thing I kind of like to get into, uh, if Mike's cool with it and you're cool with it, uh, is just kind of touching, I guess, a little bit on some of that SoCal culture. I mean, we all see from this side <laughs> of the country the juggernauts that come out of this area. And I think a lot of it seems like for us, like, how does this possibly happen? Like, how do these groups come about? Like, how do these kids learn to drum this way? But then I start talking to people 
not on this podcast about like, oh, here's the setup in middle school. Here's the setup with this. Here's the setup for this group, this group, this group. Um, and you teach at a really good school too, Sunny Hills, which I don't know if it's been always good or you're just finally like been there for a few years and putting your mark on it. Um, but what's kind of like, I guess, the setup for the music scene in those areas thinking about like your school, the Chino Hills, Arcadia, they all is like those kids do band like concert band through middle school. And then in high school, do they get an earlier exposure to rudimental drumming uh, than high school? Um, kind of take me, take us through that a little bit, I guess. It's kind of all over. I mean, it's part of it's just a numbers game. There's so many schools in Southern California. It's just because the people that we're bound to have some really, really good groups. Uh, but a lot of it also is just the setup and the educators involved. Um, the the organizations, it's deceiving. I think from the outside looking in, I always talk to people who are like, what are you guys doing out there? And we're like, we're just teaching and working really hard because... <laughs> There's no secret sauce. God, there is none. There is no secret sauce. And if there is, we're still looking for it. Um, the For, I would say, a lot of the programs, I can't speak for all of them, a lot of the programs, there's not really a lot, like... Uh, for most most programs I've worked at, there's either no elementary school music program, or there's like a minimal one. A lot of the music programs I've worked with, their elementary school program, if they did have uh, elementary school music, a lot of them didn't have percussion as an option. So I get a lot of kids who are like, yeah, I played clarinet for these couple of years and saxophone, and then my eighth grade year I wanted to play percussion and then switched. So we get a lot of that going on. At I would say a majority of the high schools, there's not there's no like marching percussion education in the middle school. There's frankly minimal percussion education in the middle schools. So okay, yeah, a majority of them, I would say you basically get the standard like here's some sticks, go in the back, try not to make too much noise, try not to put crap inside the conservation room when you're bored. <laughs> the typical <laughs> typical stuff. What do you expect? And I think maybe too, it's it's a little deceiving because like you see groups like uh, Chino Hills, IL Arcadia, and stuff like that. But then like I've seen like I guess what is it like Townsend Junior High School or Junior Middle School or something that like feeds them. They have like indoor yeah. marching middle school percussion yeah, so or those, something like that. Those are definitely the exceptions to the rule. Yeah, yeah and so can... like you see that and you're like, all right, it, that makes sense. Like. When you're getting kids who are freshmen who can move their feet in time and play triplet roles, like by the time they're seniors, you would expect that they can probably throw down some notes. Yeah, we yeah. definitely only get exposed to the cream of the crop. Almost how Taha was talking about Texas. Like, yes, the top is extremely good, but there's also tens and hundreds of other high schools throughout the state, which are probably just on the same level as most other high schools across the country. And if you think about it, like most areas, if you go to Florida, the Northeast, there's probably a few standout groups in every state, but we just get exposed to just the cream of the crop of those. And maybe there's a few more in certain areas versus others, but it's, it's, it's deceiving basically. Absolutely. And, uh, the junior high thing is really cool, and it's it's a little bit more un unique to SoCal. I know a lot of other areas are starting to experiment with it more, which is cool. Um, for us, it's it, it's another option for junior high kids who maybe don't have very many options in junior high. For most of the junior high drum lines, maybe there's not as many like opportunities, especially if you have like 30 percussion kids. Maybe there's opportunities for four or five of those kids to do something interesting, but. 
to have 30 kids involved with the, the percussion program, like this is an opportunity for them to do something else and be able to be excited about something, be excited about music, be excited about performance and stuff. So uh, it's cool. It's just another avenue for them. Um, and yeah, you start to see a little bit more of the junior high division. One of my favorite things to do every single year is go to uh, like SCP at championships, our local circuit. I'm sure almost everybody's heard of it. Um, if you, you go on the night of SCPA, like Scholastic Aprilums, you can watch the junior high finals and they'll have like the finals divisions, like nine, 10, 11 junior highs back to back with like full crowd in the arena. It's like all the kids who've been there all day for a class, all the parents. And then the junior high division goes on the, the end. And it's like the biggest crowd these kids have ever seen because they're used to going on at one in the afternoon having zero people in the audience, a couple parents and a couple judges. So you get to see like this division and the, the depth of it. And it, it's killer. It's really, really cool to see that uh, at that level and at that age group. That's awesome. And those kids are probably just eating it up. I love it. Uh, for they sure. love it. It's, it's such a cool experience. It's, it's probably my favorite thing to watch every year performance wise. That's how I feel in general, almost about the activity just like watching young kids like come into their own and blossom and like get that like light bulb and epiphany moment where you're just like, this is impacting my life in like a positive way. Uh, It's just really cool. Um, So you're at Sunny Hills. How long have you been there now? Uh, I want to say this is my fifth or sixth. I think it's my sixth winter season there. And I feel like somebody recently told me that that program was not as, I guess, uh, didn't have the numbers that it does now. Like we, we got oh, like seven, five, seven snares, five quads, <laughs> like five bases and like everything else. And... <laughs> a little big, maybe a little Dude. too big. No, 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 no. It's awesome. <laughs> seven is heaven, man. That's what they say. That's... Maybe not in high school. <laughs> yeah. Maybe... Well, I don't know if we ever said that about high school. I don't think I was saying that in the middle of June. <laughs> in the middle of June. Oh, although Joe's group, uh, from Texas, who's rocking that eight-man stand? Then they're pretty good. Oh, yeah. they're, they're band, really band cool. Grift. <laughs> Absolutely, they're insane. That was nuts. Insane. But no, that uh, that program. Yeah, I think I started there. I think six years ago, and we were a. We didn't make finals in Scholastic A and SCPA, so we were at like bottom barrel. We we're just trying to make finals for the first time ever. My first year out, uh, and I think we had two snares, two quads, four bass drums, maybe. 10 in the pit. I don't think we even had 10 in the pit. So just a tiny lean and mean group. Um, and then we're just trying to build something and then kind of all the pieces fell together. Uh, we have an awesome staff, uh, involved, like the director is, is great. She's a percussionist as well. And then the local music program started feeding us some more kids and we're in the growing pains right now. We got, we got a lot of kids and we don't really know what to do with them all, but it's, it's a good problem to have. For sure. For sure. So yeah. you're talking about was that like a, an influx in the feeder program, the middle school that feeds to the high school, or? Yeah, we get. Uh, it's weird. It, we, it's a little bit more common out here, maybe some other areas, where we don't have one single fe- feeder, and we definitely don't have direct feeders. Where the district, in a lot of areas, it's like a Venn diagram. Everybody overlaps. So we get. 20% of the kids from one junior high and 30% from one junior high. And then we get like a random kid from another junior high. So we have like kids coming from six, seven different junior high programs in the local area um, that just kind of show up. And like, we don't know, like, I don't know all the directors. I don't know what these kids have learned. So 
if we get one kid from each program, that's great. But, you know, we start getting a little bit more. Um, and then one of the programs started a middle school drumline uh, a little while back. And we've gotten some kids from there. And that's, I think, the biggest catalyst has kind of uh, pushed our growth the most is having those type of kids coming involved. Yeah, I mean, you're just already developing a culture and, like, the standard just raises the bar, which makes sense. So do you get the opportunity to work with those kids during the school day as well, or is it all after school? Um, uh, I do during the school. Our, our last class of the day, the last period, is a six-period and six-period percussion. And we do – a lot of times we'll do, like, marching stuff. They have some other projects they need to work on as well. Uh, when we get to winter season, they, they do work on some other concert stuff. Um, when I'm there, I'm fortunate I'm able to take them and just kind of work on whatever I need to do. So a lot of times I'll just take the battery, and we can't always play on drums because of the situation, with the uh, where they're at uh, with their banner and everything. So I, you know, I get 20, 25 battery kids, and I just they all grab practice pads. And we do like practice pad lessons and we do like grids. We'll start learning timing exercises. I start teaching different stick control exercises. Uh, and then a lot of times we just start working on the music and working on the show stuff. Nice. So I think this is a pretty big, like, I don't know, percussive hot topic nationwide. There's like the epic struggle or argument over, oh, I'm giving my kids like the all around percussion education versus like, well, this kid really likes to play timpani, so I'm going to like focus him on timpani because that's what he likes. Or this kid really likes yep. marimba or quads. Where do you kind of fall in that teaching philosophy? It's hard, man. It, it obviously – I think it always starts at the top. It starts with the director. It starts with the program and starts with the culture of the school. Um, a majority of my kids, like almost every kid I have, like goes on to college – they go on to be doctors, they go on to be lawyers, they go on to be engineers, computer engineering, things like that. Uh, we don't get kids that who are interested in doing music after high school. And frankly, most of their parents don't want them doing music, even in high school, let alone after high school. So who am I to tell them, this is what you need to learn for college audition, when the kids are like, I know 100% for sure I'm never going to do this after high school. So my job is to teach them as much as I can about life and how to be a good person, how to be a good human being, how to be a great member of society through percussion. And if that's being great at snare drum and a couple other small things, then that's what it is. But it, it's more about just getting them a great life uh, experience and not necessarily forcing them to learn something that they're not going to utilize after high school. It's like we want them to appreciate everything and I want them to appreciate other sources of music and other aspects of music, but we have a finite amount of time. We have a finite amount of resources. And at a certain point, especially with the structure of our programs, we don't have the capacity to teach these kids at a high level, five, six different instruments. It's like, I have enough time to get them really, really good at one or two instruments and just teach them how to be awesome at something. Uh, and I think frankly, like if you're going to go on and not do music, I think that's just as, valuable of an experience as anything else would be 100 percent agree once i'm a i'm a believer that once you know how to get good at anything or one thing you have the ability to get good at whatever you want at that point because you understand the learning process you understand how to get from point a to point b and you can learn and, and get good at whatever you want at that point if you're successful at the first thing that, absolutely I, I totally agree and you know i 
I would love for every kid to leave high school and be a kick-ass drums player and awesome at timpani and mallets and everything else. But like I said, we have a very finite amount of time and resources, and there's just no way we'll be able to teach them how to do all those things really well. So I think teaching them how to half-ass a whole bunch of things is probably not as good as trying to whole-ass something. For sure. And <laughs> I, I think that that's, like you said, like I knew 100% that I was not going to go on to be a music ed major. So why would I waste my time? And of course, in my high school percussion ensemble class, like I played mounts, I played timpani. Like they gave me the exposure and the knowledge that I needed that if I wanted to do that, I understood what I needed to do to practice and be able to do those things. But I just knew that I, I didn't want to. And Taha, Mike mentioned him earlier. He, he had said something that even to this day resonates with me from a podcast that we did. He's like, and how also like short-sighted is it for us to think that a, a well-rounded percussion education is just learning concert snare, timpani, and mallets. He's like, you're not learning Latin percussion. You're not learning African percussion. You're not learning this. He's like, there's so many things that you're not learning. But people consider it a well-rounded education. He's like, we're just. He's like, that's not even true. First of all, yeah. I was like, yes, sure. Well, so. and it, it's tricky. Like you, you want to give them the best possible experience, and you know, some programs have the ability to do that. Some programs don't. And no matter what, teach them how to do it really, really well. That's the most important thing. Yep. Well, I we've been going for about an hour and ten minutes now, and I think that's a really good note to end on. But before we do that, I have to ask you about your snare drum tuning. I don't think this will be like a super long answer, but if it is, oh well. You told me a long time ago, all you do is just take the bottom heads, your MX-5s and the gray hybrid tops from Evans. Do you still use those mainly? Uh, I do not. Uh, I have obviously a ton of experience with them. Uh, I'm a Remo guy, so I, okay. I use the either Black Max or now Suede Max and then the Flam 2 bottoms. But right. well, I'll speak is, for either one. Is your philosophy much different than what you told me? It might have just been giving me a quick, simple answer over Facebook Messenger years ago. But <laughs> you said you do the bottoms to a C sharp, and then you just basically make the tops comfortable. Is that that's, still kind of your general? That's mostly, I mean, that's obviously very diluted down, but like that, yeah. that's mostly right. Um, if I'm feeling really good about things and got a good tuning going, it depends on the drums. Uh, a lot of times I like to go up to a D. Yeah, get the D's good words at get the mm -hmm. D five on the uh, on the phone tuner. Just crank yeah. everything up to D five. Problem is the heads don't usually last. They so, do not. Uh, if you're on a bus, especially, especially during the winter <laughs> okay. when yeah. it's cold out. Nah, so I'm told. <laughs> yeah, I, I just especially in the Midwest when it's cold. Yep, C sharp for you guys for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to let the cat out of the bag for all of our avid listeners because. Your snare lines are some of my favorite sounding snare lines I've ever heard. And part of it is the way you teach kids to play, and part of it is the tuning scheme, obviously. So I just Thanks, wanted man. to... It's, yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's the combination, this tuning scheme, it's the touch, the approach to the instrument, the, the type of beats that are written for it kind of exposes the tuning in a good or a bad way. There's a lot of factors and variables, but uh, I think if you were to dumb it down, I think that's essentially it. And then as minimal crap on the bottom head as possible. Yeah. yeah, you just got to touch up the guts, make sure the tension there. I, I think the biggest mistake some people make is they don't, I don't know, they don't take the time to just go through the guts and make sure that they're like the same. Like just, just touch them up a yeah. little bit. You don't have to like tune them to a certain pitch, but just, just make sure they're not like the outside four or super loose and the inside <laughs> eight or super tight. Like, I mean, come on. 
of course, when you got the pearls, you got 16 on there, which is a lot of guts. Lot so of that's life. a lot of work. That's just all so much work. That's a lot of guts. Yeah. <laughs> what is right. Yamaha has 10 uh, and 10? Dynasty 12? have 12 or something like that? I think so. I think, I think it's right. 12, but, but 12. I, I don't even know, and I look at them every day of my life. <laughs> yeah, but don't don't put a towel on your bottom head. Please don't put a towel yeah. on your bottom head. Yeah, <laughs> paper towel. I'm, not, oh, I'm not a fan. All right. Well, so, yeah. if either of you all <laughs> don't have anything else, um, this has been a blast. I feel like we could talk probably for a whole other hour. but uh, Absolutely. Uh, bring me on another time. I'll take well, another six months away coordinate with you guys <laughs> that's all it good dude. It's, it's hard to navigate through the time change man yeah we're adults <laughs> we all have careers and jobs and things that we have to commitments we have to keep so but Absolutely. either way we'll definitely have you on again uh, are you working with any independent world indoor groups this season uh i am not okay then we're gonna have you on and we're gonna talk trash about everybody Ooh, <laughs> well i can't talk trash wonderful about all right all right I, let me rephrase but, talk trash. We'll analyze what's going on in the activity this season coming up. I'll be down to analyze. You'll be our expert <laughs> sure. guest analyst. You'll be the you'll be the Stephen A. Smith of the podcast. But you have to yell a lot more. <laughs> oh my gosh. And uh, use extremely hard to decipher dictionary words. Correct. Like Stephen A. Smith does. Correct. <laughs> All right. So let's wrap this up. Um Thanks, everyone, as always, of sticking around and listening. Eric, thanks again for coming on and hanging out. Uh, again, hit subscribe for the YouTube channel, like the video, drop a comment if you have any questions or suggestions. Follow us on Instagram, like Facebook, uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whichever you prefer. And we will just see everybody in a few weeks with the next guest, more than likely. Peace. Thanks, guys.